Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope that you enjoy this message today. There's this um, terrifying scripture in Psalm 78, 19. And it's talking about, it's the children of Israel and, and the people that are, they said, yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Now here's the, it's a strange question, but it becomes even more strange when you realize who's asking the question. These are the folks, these are the folks that had been slaves in Egypt. They were there when God raised Moses up. You remember Moses? Moses, Moses saw, ran into the Lord out in, in the wilderness and, and, and the, he said, who are you and who shall I say sent me to deliver these people? And the Lord spoke to him and he said, tell them, tell them Moses that I am has sent, has sent you to them. I am, not I was, not I will be. Tell them I am the ever existent, ever present God. I am. It's here in your midst. And Moses went to the people, and I am showed up and began to annihilate the Egyptians. They went through 10 outrageous plagues. And after every plague, Pharaoh would harden his heart again and refuse to let the children of Israel go. And after the last one, after the last plague, after even Pharaoh's own son was killed, when the Lord passed over and killed the firstborn from every family, from every animal herd, and from every human family, the firstborn of every non-Jewish family was killed that night. Weeping and devastation hit Egypt. And, and Pharaoh said, you can, you can go. Well, he still hardened his heart and changed his mind and started chasing him down. And ended up, the, the, the Lord, you know the story, the Lord opened up Mount, the, the Red Sea and they passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. And Pharaoh and his army went in and, and got wet, whacked by the Red Sea and drowned and thousands of soldiers floated to the shore. The Lord delivered them. And then the Lord began to, to lead the children of Israel with a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He led them through the wilderness. Every morning there was bread coming down from heaven to feed three million people. And there was a rock that followed them. Paul said the rock was Christ. And there was water flowing out of that rock for 40 years to quench the thirst in the desert land of this, this nation. These are not fairy tales. This is real. This is a real story. This really happens. And you know what? There they are in the midst of all of this. And they said, can God provide a table in the wilderness? Now, you, we, we laugh. sounds so funny to us now, but we're the same people. And the same things happen to us. I mean, how many of you have got, gotten to a point recently that, well, well, why doesn't God, why does, I don't understand, why doesn't God help me in this situation? And you look back and you see his handiwork from before you were born, through when, when you were a child, when you were in rebellion, and God protected you and provided you and sustained you and saved you and kept you and met you again and again and again and again and again and again, and you face a trial, and you face a trial, and then you're sitting there whimpering, can God provide a table in the wilderness? That's what this was. Humans are so predictable. 
These people in today's verse were the very people who had walked through the Red Sea on dry grounds. The Lord had been leading them with the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He had supplied water from the rock and even daily bread from heaven. They seemed to think that the manna was not sufficient to nourish them in their journey. They wanted some meat. They were not only doubting God's ability to supply for them, they also doubted his very nature. They were doubting the very goodness of God. Now, you might think you would never do that if you were in that position, but odds are you probably would have responded the same way. Except for the influence of the grace of God, we would all respond the wrong way. Now, here's what John Gill said about this. He says, not only thought ill of him and tempted him in their hearts, they expressed with their mouths what was in their hearts. They spoke against him. They spoke against his power. They spoke against his providence in plain words. Though he had been so good and gracious to them and had done such wonderful things for them, they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? These are the words which they spoke against him and by which they tempted him, questioning his power and his goodness. Questioning his power and his goodness. When we begin to doubt the Lord, what we're saying, what, what, the first thing we may be saying is, he's not able, he's not able to heal my body. He's not able to fix my circumstances. He's not able to save my child. He's not able to change my financial conditions. He's not able to deliver me from alcoholism. He's not able to deliver me from, from pornography and immorality. He's not able to deliver me from homosexuality. He's not able. Or, maybe he's able, but he just won't do it because. He won't do it because he did it for someone else, but for some reason, he just won't do it for me. We know he can, but for some reason, he won't. Boy, it's quiet in this place. So it's, you know, what is it? They were were questioning the, the power of God, and they were questioning the goodness of God. But I want to let you know that our God's power has not diminished. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still the I am that breathed out of the fiery bush. I am, tell him I am, has sent me to you. He's not the God of just Abraham and Moses or just the God of the book of Revelation or the book of the millennium or the days to come. He is the God of right here, right now, today. I am has sent me to you. I am is standing. I actually, I am is walking the aisles of this church. I am was here before you got here this morning. I am was in the worship service. I am is in these words that I'm speaking to you right now. I am is right here face to face. eye to eye with you, looking for your heart, looking for you to turn toward him, to acknowledge him, to acknowledge his power, to acknowledge his goodness, to acknowledge his greatness. Our God is great. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above and beyond what we can ask or even think. Our God is good. Our God loves us with an everlasting love. While we were yet sinners, this God loved us. While were we in our backslidden condition, our God loved us. Christ died to save sinners. He died for you. He died for me. Christ died for the ungodly. Godly. His goodness, his goodness is like a bottomless ocean. 
He loves and he loves and he gives and he gives and he loves and he gives and he loves and he gives. That's who he is. Oh yeah, we open our hearts to him and he, we drink in his goodness. We drink in his power. Yeah, he's able to provide a table in the wilderness. Hallelujah. So they were expressing their dissatisfaction with their present and daily allowance. They were not content with the manna they had every day. But they wanted to have a table ordered and spread with all kinds of dainties. The sense of the question is, can the Lord do this for us? Can he give us a plentiful table in the wilderness as well as drop the manna about our tents? If he can, why does he not? If he does not, he must either want, either for want in himself or want of goodwill to us and thus tried and tempted the Lord. This is a terrifying thought to be eating and living out of God's hand every day and complaining about it. How many times has God met you and supplied your needs throughout your life? You're sitting there with food pouring out your mouth. Why doesn't God? Why doesn't God be? Stuffing food down your throat. Why doesn't God beat me? The sense of the question is, can the Lord? Oh, yeah. The great, uh, he, he's not only sustaining and supplying for you as a Christian, all of those years that you were living in sin away from God, even in those times, he graciously took care of us. He fed us, protected us, and supplied all our needs for us. The great cure for this hardness of heart is to give thanks unto the Lord. Rehearse in your hearts. If, you know, if, if, you've, if, you, if you've been struggling with this, maybe you've got a hardness of heart and, and you're mad about your circumstances and you don't understand why you're not getting breakthrough in your life. Go back and rehearse the things that he has done for you. Go, go talk about what he has done. Start at the beginning. Start at the beginning and try to write down all the things that he's done for you. And even if you're angry and disappointed with God, begin to let your mouth begin to utter thanks to God for those things that he has done for you. And then begin to worship him. Begin to worship him and give thanks to him like Abraham did. Yeah, Abraham was disappointed. The promise was delayed for 25 years. It looked like it wasn't going to happen. He was disappointed. But it says Abraham grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He grew strong in faith. Not looking at the deadness of his own body. But considering the possibilities that God could even raise a dead body up from the dead. And he grew strong in faith. Giving glory to God. Oh yeah, he's an awesome God. Wow, let's go, let's go, there's another little quote I want to read to you about this from Charles Spurgeon. In Psalm 78, 20, it says, Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? (laughs) Can he provide meat for his people? Spurgeon said, this said, God can, can, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? To question the ability of one who is manifestly almighty is to speak against him. These people were base enough to say that although their God had given them bread and water, yet he could not properly order or, 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 or furnish a table. He could give them coarse food, but could not prepare a feast properly arranged. So they were ungrateful enough to declare 
As the manna was, was a mere makeshift and the flowing rock stream a temporary expedient, they asked him to have a regularly furnished table such as they had been accustomed to in Egypt. Alas, how have we quarreled with our own mercies? Wow, that's powerful statement, Spurgeon. How have we quarreled with our own mercies? <laughs> and curiously pined for some imaginary food, counting our actual nourishments to be nothing because they do not happen to be exactly conformed to our foolish fancies. Those who, they who will not be content will speak against providence, even when it daily loads them with benefits. Woo! Oh, yeah. You know, this, this just, this is, this is, this is so relevant to, to every generation. I think of the, the miracle of the feeding of the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus fed the people there. He fed the people. He fed them bread, and he fed them fish. And, the, and it was multiplied from five little loaves and two fish. It was multiplied, and the thousands of people ate, and they were all filled. And the next day, some of the, the disciples confronted him and said, well, Lord, why don't you do this every day? Moses did it for 40 years. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. They had no clue what that miracle was about. They had no idea what the miracle was about that day. They thought that miracle was just about bread and just about fish. They had no idea it was about Christ. It was about spiritual food. It was about spiritual nourishment. It was about a real table in the wilderness. They had no idea. All they could see is bread and fish. They were looking into the eyes of Christ, and all they could see is po' boys. That's all they could see. Jesus was right there. Man, I can't wait for that catfish po' boy after church. You know, so there's a, there's a scripture in John 6, 9. It's, there's, there's a lad here. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? There's a bell. <laughs> what are they among so many? You know, one of, one of the, the deals that we, 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 we struggle with from time to time in our walk with the Lord is that we think that anything that we have to offer is totally insignificant. What, what difference, you know, the, you know it, come on now. What were this little boy thinking? What difference would it make? What were the disciples thinking? They had to be laughing. What difference does it make if this boy, let the boy have his lunch. Don't take his lunch. What's wrong with you? Let him eat his own lunch. Don't take it. But they took his, his lunch. The boy offered his lunch. Insignificant. What difference will this make among so many? It won't even fill one man. It wasn't enough for one man. Not enough for 5,000 men. Might have been enough for the little boy, but not enough for a grown man. What are you thinking? And you know, that's, that's the way a lot of us approach our connection to the body of Christ. We see what we have as meaningless and insignificant. When it can be, at the end of the day, it can be life-changing. Your offering makes a huge difference for you, and it's in the master's hand. It makes a huge difference. Your talent makes a huge difference. 
You know, one of the sto- we re- heard one of the stories. We watched a video from John Piper. He was talking about, about this man, this young man who lived in the 1600s. You know, you might have heard his name because you come to this church, and I've mentioned his name before. His name was Henry Skugel. He was um, nobody. You'd go out, you'd, you'd go, you could walk for 50 years and ask the guy on the street. No one's ever heard of Henry Skugel before. He's a nothing. He was insignificant, unimportant. After all, he died when he was 27 years old. He was a, a pastor of a, an insignificant church in an insignificant village in Scotland of all places 300 and something years ago. And he felt impressed to write a letter to a friend. And this letter was a pretty significant letter. It was 60 pages, but it was, it was just a letter. It was never published in his lifetime. After he died, some people read the letter, thought it was pretty good, so they published it. A hundred years later, in 17, I think 1738, uh, an unknown Christian felt impressed to give this little letter that had become a book. The book was titled, The Life of God in the Soul of a Man. That's what the, it was about being born again, about the power of God and how it changes somebody. That's what this letter was about. The life of God and the soul of a man. And this Christian felt impressed to give it to this young, floundering college student who happened to be a young student by the name of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was unconverted, struggling, trying to be a Christian, trying to please God with his own works. But lightning struck when he read that book, and he was born again. He was gloriously born again. His life was changed. He began to testify. Shortly after that, began to testify in some of the local churches. And it says when he testified in his home church for the first time, that 15 people were driven mad by his sermon. You know what that means. And then after that, the, the people started, the joy started happening. And people started falling out of their pews. And the next thing, you know, they locked the church. George Whitfield was no, after just a matter of weeks, was no longer welcome to preach in any churches in London. So he took it out and began to have open air meetings. And Within a matter of weeks, 5, 10, 15, and 20,000 people were coming to his meetings. And, and then he comes to America for, for 35 years and preached and preached and preached. And God visited our country from 1740 to 1775. So I think at the end of the day, this insignificant little nobody by the name of Henry Skugel The letter that he felt impressed to write to his friend that day, he had no idea that this letter that he was going to write was actually five loaves and two little fish. He had no idea it was going to feed the multitudes with the true bread that comes down from heaven. He had no idea. He never knew. He never knew. And you have no idea how significant your life is. You may never know in this life. He didn't know in this life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just stay with what we can know, and we stay with what we are. We offer ourselves to the Lord, and we plant our seeds, and we worship God, and and we're faithful in our church, and we love God, and we love brothers and sisters, and we pour out what we can on the hurting, and we find our ministry, and we're faithful to it, and we let God, let God count the results. Awesome. I want to finish with this last um, 
scripture, John 6, 51, and this is going to, this will get us ready for communion. This is that next day, you know, Jesus had fed the multitudes. Thousands of people had eaten. And um, they went, you know, the next day, Jesus, that was the the next day is when Jesus, um, that night he dispersed the crowd. They tried to make him king, as a matter of fact, because they they got the wrong idea. This is, yeah, this this is pretty cool. We're going to make him the new Messiah. We're going to make him, they tried to take him by force and he, he was able to escape, went into the mountains, prayed, the crowd dispersed, the disciples got stuck on the water. Jesus walked on the water that night, stilled the crowd. They found themselves on the other shore. The next day, some of the people came to him and he said, uh, they said, hey, let's do this again. That's pretty cool. Let's, let's do this again. Let's do it again. Moses did it for 40 years. And, and this is what he said to him. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. See, here's the, here's the, the truth. There was a, a crowd of people that day eating the fish and eating the bread. Some, some of the crowd, a portion of the crowd, all they saw and all they could see was the fish and the bread, and that was it. They were scurrying, waiting for the disciples. Come on, get over here, we're hungry. Give us some, give us some, give us some. And they could, they ate and they, rawr, 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 they got it in. And they, rawr, rawr, and they lay there with their, burp, you know, with the belly swelled. And that was, well, that was great. Let's do this again tomorrow. But some people, they couldn't take their eyes off of Jesus. They were sitting there, they saw it. They saw it. They saw it. They saw the power of God. They saw the anointing upon his life. They saw it. They saw, whoa, this is not about bread and fish. This is so much bigger than bread and so much bigger than fish. They couldn't get their eyes off of Jesus. The bread and fish became insignificant. Yeah, they they ate their portion and they were satisfied, but, but they couldn't take their eyes off Jesus. They said, that's him. That's him. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. This is the one if we eat his body and drink his blood will never hunger will never thirst will be satisfied forever you see that day in the wilderness there was there was two tables spreads for those five thousand people just like there is every day some people think that the miracles of jesus are just physical and and just to take care of just to give us a better life now just to fix our problems and just to sort it out so we can we can live a better higher quality of life yeah he does that but that that is not what he came for that's not what he's about yeah he heals the sick yes he restores marriages yes he provides our needs but that's not why he came yes he multiplied the fish and the bread and he they were they all laid and they were all satisfied but That's not why he came. He came to be the sacrifice for our sins. Not only to be the sacrifice for our sins, not only to wash our sins away, but he came to to bring us to God. Our sins had separated us from God. And now we could come back. We could come and sit at the table of the Lord, the spiritual table that didn't have the the catfish and po' boy bread on it. What it had was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It had the manna that comes down from heaven. It had the new wine of the Holy Ghost. And we sat at that table and we began to delight ourselves in the fatness of the Lord's table. 
the world was going nuts out there. They were fighting and they were striving and they were arguing and they were, they were fighting about this and fighting about this. We were seated at the tables of the Lord, drinking and being satisfied. Yeah, he is the true bread that comes down from heaven. He is my portion. He is better than life. Yeah, his loving kindness is better than life. I can delight myself in the fatness of the Lord's house. He is more than enough for me. I can feast on him and be satisfied. Communion is an incredible picture. Incredible picture of our life. Yes, we eat this bread. This, Jesus said, this bread is my body, which was given for you. Jesus became a man. He became a man for you. Today, seated in heaven, is a man. Crucified, resurrected, glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father. Today, he represents me. Today, a man, my Savior, my high priest, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, this Jewish man. This Jewish man is ruling the universe. A man is pulling the strings on everything. He's calling all the shots. He's causing the sun to rise and the moon to set. He's causing the tides to come and to go. He's ruling everything. Jesus of Nazareth is ruling the universe by the word of his power. He's ruling you and he's ruling me. He's got my life covered. I can sit at his table and be satisfied with the fatness of my father's house. I can feast on God. And I can drink in his new wine of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it fills me with joy unspeakable. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at victoryfellowship.net for service times and locations.